Welcome to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival. Thank you for listening. Your support allows us to continue to celebrate and spotlight great writing and important ideas. I need to begin today by acknowledging the loss of legendary author, activist, and mentor, Lee Maracle. Lee passed away November 11th, 2021. She was a force of nature and a powerful thinker, writer, and teacher. I'm honored to have known her, blessed to have read her, and eternally grateful for her friendship. To meet her or read her was to immediately encounter a fierce intellect and even fiercer sense of humor. Her life and work are a testament to an unwavering commitment to truth and to a better future for Indigenous peoples the world over. She will be missed and her legacy will endure as long as stories are told. We are broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. We recognize our obligation as settlers on this land to work to repair the harms perpetrated upon Indigenous communities and acknowledge the ongoing trauma colonialism has inflicted and continues to inflict on First Nations, Métis, and Indigenous peoples. Today's host is Elaine Bomberry. Elaine has worked as a freelance Indigenous performing arts activist, promoter, manager, TV, and radio producer full-time for 35 years. She's Anishinaabe and Cayuga from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Southern Ontario, and now makes her home on the Capilano Res on the unceded Squamish Nation Territory in North Vancouver, British Columbia. She manages Juno winner Murray Porter and helped create the Best Music of Aboriginal Canada recording category for the Juno Awards in 1994 with Buffy St. Marie and Curtis Shingu's Johnny, who was the first chairperson. She spoke with her friend Thompson Highway about his memoir, Permanent Astonishment, which won this year's Hillary Weston Writers' Trust Prize for nonfiction. Thompson Highway is best known for his plays, The Red Sisters and Dry Lips, Autumn Move to Kapiskasing, as well as his best-selling novel, Kiss of the Fur Queen. He divides his year between Gatineau, Quebec, and Naples, Italy. This is how the Writers' Trust jury describes the memoir. Permanent Astonishment is a mesmerizing story rich in detail about growing up in a Cree-speaking family in northern Manitoba and later in a residential school. Highways writing the lights and tales of eating muskrat tails, speaking Cree and learning English, preparing for a Christmas concert, and listening to Hank Snow on a transistor radio. While unstinting about the abuse he and others suffered, Highway makes the bold personal choice to accentuate the wondrousness of his school years, resulting in a book that shines with the foundational sparks of adolescence, innocence, fear, and amazement. Here's Elaine Bomberry in conversation with legendary creator and performer, Thompson Highway. Sego, Ani, Tensi. My name's Elaine Bomberry. I'm Nishinaabe Cayuga from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory, but now living here on the beautiful unceded territory of the Squamish. Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh people here in North Vancouver. And it's my honor and pleasure yet again to speak with the most fabulous Cree writer you could ever imagine existed. Oh, he's oh, he's here. He's here. This is Mr. You're being way too kind. Anyway, I, I, my name is Thompson Highway. I'm Cree from Northern Manitoba. And my father was a caribou hunter. And my mother was a caribou which makes me half terrible, which is why I have such a nice ass. You see, they, they, say, I have, they, say, they say that I have the hindquarters of a caribou. <gasps> the caribou clan. <laughs> I always thought you were from the caribou clan. <laughs> oh, oh. 
It's the rear view. Yeah, it's the rear view that matters. I look back. I always people always ask me, Adam, I'm not very photogenic. Eh? I really, I, I'm not. I always tell photographers. I've taken to telling photographers that if you, if you don't want to get me a good, the only way I can possibly be photogenic is if you pinch my ass. Okay, that way you'll get a very interesting expression on my face. That's the only way we can do, do it. Do you squirt too? <laughs> no, no, caribous don't squirt. <laughs> anyway, so you're here because of my book, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so tell me, uh, like this is a fantastical beautiful journey like mm -hmm. we're taken to your beautiful winter wonderland mm -hmm. you know yep. we island hop with you and the islands where you and renee's playground like that mm -hmm. is such a beautiful escape mm -hmm. you know I, I i just loved it and i could see it i could feel it i could smell it what? you know the, the fires that were burning you know mm -hmm. the your campfires you'd have and yep. in the middle of winter everything it was just fantastical so and and from you what was like what's one of your best memories you think like growing up like that i know there's mem you share many in many the memories book. um uh oh i have many many memories i grew up in a, the reason i wrote the book is because i wanted to it's a symphony i, I call it a symphony of the beauty of the beauty of northern manitoba makes sense most, most people most Canadians know only a, a very narrow strip of canada that that borders the american border and ninety percent of the Canadian population lives there. The other ten percent, those of us who live way up north, you know, we know another Canada. It's another Canada that people have never seen because it's impossible to get there. Um, thank goodness, because it's still a, Canada's best kept secret. It's still virgin territory. And um, so, uh, my favorite memory of many, many memories was one night where our, our little motor was broken, and uh, uh, and we got stuck in the middle of the lake of this immense part of Reindeer Lake. Reindeer Lake is a great big lake. It's picture Lake Ontario with 5,000 islands and no people. Just oh, wow. incredible. And so um, floating. So we had to float. It was in the middle of the night and the sky was absolutely clear and there was absolutely no wind whatsoever. And that's through the mirror. The, the mirror. The, so I was looking in the mirror. Just kidding. <laughs> so I admired myself. <laughs> that's, that's the case. I, uh, so the lake was like a mirror. Not a, not a, not, no movement at all. It was like a mirror. And, and and I was sleeping. I was like five years old, I think, four or five. And I was uh, sleeping and, uh, on, at the bottom of the canoe. My mom and dad had put a, a nice, beautiful, beautiful uh, mattress and uh, a big duvet. Uh, and Renee and I were sleeping there. And I was, if I was six, five, Renee was two. And so we were sleeping there. And <clears throat> and the other members of the family were in the canoe. My father was uh, at, the, at the stern of the canoe. And my mother was at the... What do you call that? English. English is not my language. The, the front of the canoe. And, uh, uh, and we were floating. They were paddling. And the only, anyway, we were sleeping. And all of a sudden, my, my sister Florence, who would have been about 13 years old, said, Anansi, which means in Greek, look at that, in a voice of wonder and, and a total silence. And way after, we, I got up. I sat up, rather, in my, from my bed. And I looked in the distance, and there was this wildest campfire about three miles away, and it was just magical. And then I looked up around, I looked down around me, and there was oh yeah, I was when I was lying there, I wasn't I wasn't quite asleep. I was looking up at this immense starscape, ten trillion stars in a clear sky in northern Manitoba. And then my my my, my sister woke me up. I mean, got me up, and I had to sit up to look to see what she was pointing at. And all of a sudden, down below me, underneath us, was the exact same sky reflected perfectly in that lake. 
And so we were float as if it was we were floating through a gigantic ball made of the very center of a gigantic ball made of nothing but starlight and total silence. The only sound you heard was the the ripple of uh, paddles uh, uh, moving in the water. And that moment, I remember that moment so clearly. And I was I have many beautiful memories of my childhood. I had the most extraordinary childhood you can possibly imagine. But that memory was indelible. It was the most it was breathtaking. Oh, that's wonderful. That's mm-hmm. so wonderful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Another thing, of course, it jumps right up through the book is is the Cree language mm-hmm. yep. and how you really took the time and the effort to educate people on certain words, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I by by page 18, and everyone who's read your book knows what Muniaz means. <laughs> That's right. And I, have, and I take poetic license with, uh, with me uh, as a writer, a Cree writer uh, who speaks the language. It's my first language, by none. Yes, and yes. But they spell it the way I want to spell it, because up yes. to this time, the Cree was, not, Cree was not a written language. And so I, we're the first generation of uh, writers to put it down on paper. And so I spell it the way I want to know. Rightfully, it's usually spelled M O O N I A S. Yes. Yeah, Monias, as in it rhymes with Sunia, which means <laughs> which, which means a little, a little bit of money, which, or it means money. Yeah. Change, change. Yeah. Monia. And I used to tease white people who didn't have any money. Oh, look, a, Sunia, a Monias with no Sunias. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like this a street street panhandlers. That's what we said. Yeah. We were approached by a my panhandler on, on the street. Look, like, look, look, <laughs> and that's what Cree does to you. It makes you laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. It's, yeah, that's it's the thing. hysterical language. And so when I spell it M-O-O-N-Y dash A-S-S. So it's, like, it's like somebody mooning you. There's that subtext to it all. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever, you ever been mooned by Munias, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's fantastic, uh-huh. you know. And there's other like throughout the whole book, like you, you, you share the mm-hmm. lang your language, and oh, this is, and then then you even I explain how to pronounce yeah, words. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. Oh, I've never seen a book a like of, that. A lot of Cree language in there, and uh, and the words the the words are hysterically funny. For instance, uh, when, that, when that American tourist has an accident out in the lake because he's got diarrhea, <laughs> the way we say, uh, uh, we say, which means uh, literally, which means literally to hit to hit yourself accidentally with a gun. Okay, that's what it actually means, and uh, or with a uh, or with a, whatever with a gun. But what it actually what we we use that expression to mean he. Well, let's let's cut to the chase. Yeah, okay, let's go. No, we can't. We have to be polite. We're on radio. Yes. We, it means he should. Oh, no, okay. He shit his pants. That's what that okay. is. Okay. <laughs> so that American guy, that poor American guy, he had a terrible case of diarrhea that day. And every and my, my dad was the guide. He was guiding on his fishing lodge that uh, served American tourists, Amer, Amer, rich Americans from the, from the South. And uh, this guy refused to stay home. And uh, just and so dad took him because he didn't know anything about the situation, his personal situation. So my dad's responsibility as a guy was to keep like tro- they're trolling along, trolling along. All of a sudden the guy yells and he's gonna he's gonna you know, he's gonna have an accident. And and so my my, my dad throw, uh, throws the motor motor into full throttle and they speed to the nearest beach, they possibly get the nearest island, and he rams into the island with the force of a tank and the American, which gives just enough time for the, the American guy to jump out of the uh, out of the boat, pull, pull uh, drop his pants, 
and Squadron had this incredible explosion, which is which is heard all over Radio Lake. All of Northern Manitoba. And that's (laughs) 10 times that day, you know, in full view of everyone. And so we have, I have a great time describing that. Oh. So it's full of a lot of humor and a lot of humor. And the names too. The names are extraordinary. They're direct translation from Korean. Yes. Oh my gosh. All those names. I I almost, I was thinking I should do a checklist, like start Mm -hmm. writing down all these wonderful character names. People's people's favorite because we we are like French missionaries who arrived there way up uh, like uh, 1860s recorded the my grandparents' generation and and uh, or perhaps my great grandparents' generation they they arrived there in the north we're talking about the most one of the most isolated areas on the face of the earth and uh, so they were French missionaries so they baptized they converted us and so they baptized us and, and baptisms they gave us. This um, this slapped French names on us, the names of French saints, because that was a Catholic back, back then. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and one of the common, most common <laughs> common names in the catalog of saints in the Roman Catholic Church is Jean Baptiste. Oh yeah. Right? But we couldn't, our Christians couldn't pronounce that because we didn't speak any French, we didn't speak any English at all back in those days. My parents, to the very end of their lives, didn't speak any English whatsoever. Even my oldest brothers and sisters, they're not, they're gone now, of course, but they didn't speak English either or French. Anyway. So, uh, so Sam, Jean Baptiste uh, very quickly became Sam Baptiste, and so with my my writer's license, I spell it the way it sounds, which which is samba, as in the Brazilian dance. Yes. And and cheese, <laughs> and then the food. Okay. So yes. I, stick, I stick those two words together, Sam Baptiste, and the, and this guy who I was talking to yesterday, really I particularly love the name Sam Baptiste Fitzgerald. Okay. <laughs> Really like that name, and then there's all these other names. You know, there's a, another one is Angelique. That's my favorite. My own favorite. yes, Angelique, which Angelique in English, yeah, it's very yes. English is like, <laughs> like Chris, not Chris, completely impolite. Anyway, um, so I, I, it's pronounced Angelique in English. In French, it's called it's pronounced Angelique, and in Korean, it's pronounced Aslik. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 how we, that's how we pronounce it, right? Yep, and, yep. and then I take my creator's writer's, writer's letters to spell it the way it sounds, which is A S S dash L I C K. So you'll see, you'll hear that up north, like a one woman calling another woman, going, <laughs> See, reading this book reminded, like, I could hear your voice so clearly. You know, the, and again, just it's just so wonderful to see so much of the Cree language in here, and and the, and the time and the effort you took to educate, you know, your readers mm-hmm. and to introduce the language to them. I thought it was very, very beautiful. Well, and, thank you very much. Yes, and your your family legacy, like you come from a champion dog sled racers. My father, so, I come. Yeah, I come. Yeah, from so, the, so so to hear the beauty of that ride on your dog sled. Um, Doug Sled right in chapter three reinforces that this is on my bucket list. Yes, I want to go on a dog sled ride in the north. Somehow, yeah. some way, I'm going to do it. But your, your eloquence had me giggling inside of how you must truly have felt. Like it was just amazing. And so, yeah, the that dog sled ride has moved up a big notch on my bucket list. Thanks yeah. to you, Nelson Highway. Right, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. You know, I come from talking about my parents. It was, I had to, uh, I, wanted to let, I wanted to let the world know that I come, another reason I write the book, I wrote the book, is because I wanted to let the world know that I come from the, one, the most beautiful marriage imaginable. 
Um, I, I always say that I come from the kind of marriage that they can only dream about in Hollywood. Huh? Oh, yes. And they were uh, 60 years of love, 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 and yet more love. So we were surrounded by love. We were just so loved, especially the last two children, because we were the last, Renee and I were the last two of 12. Yes, children, yes. And they'd lost five to death at a very early point. Yeah, in that was very sad. I didn't know that about Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And so we were the last two. So the last two in particular, because the infant mortality rate back in those days was very, very high. Uh, people had 12, 14, 16 children, even 18 children quite regularly. And a good time, a good, a good, uh, a goodly part of that time, they would lose at least six of those children, you know. Mm. And so my family uh, lost before I was born, so I never knew them. But uh, mm. before I was born, my parents had lost five, five babies. Yeah. And so yeah. when you live like that, you just live, you live with death all the time. Death becomes a regular, a regular rhythm in your life. And yeah. so what you have still living is precious beyond belief. So we were. We are the we were the most loved children on the face of the earth. Mm. We were cherished like diamonds, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. You know the that I honestly felt like I was on that dog sled. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you yeah. will, and you will someday soon. I'm touching. I don't have any dogs myself, <laughs> and I live. <laughs> I don't live in a city either, but I don't. Live, I sort of live. In a village in the out in the countryside, ten kilometers from the old what used to be called Hall. I live in Aylmer. It's beautiful, right by the river. We're five minute walk away from the Ottawa River, and I live in a beautiful house, a beautiful garden. Oh my goodness, it's just a, a backyard. It's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh. totally comfortable. And uh, so uh, I, uh, the reason I brought this up is because uh, we lived in in paradise. We lived, we truly, truly up there where I come from, right next to the Manitoba border. I always say that I might as well have been conceived in Manitoba, uh, in Nunavut, and born in Manitoba. That's I bet you you were conceived on the borderline. I'm sure I was. You know, because I'm, I'm sure you were. I'm such a borderline person. I have such a borderline person. See? That's <laughs> where you were conceived. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. But, uh, uh, and we go, but it was right in, not, not in Churchill. We were further north in Churchill, Manitoba, and Hudson's Bay. We're on the other side of the province, right next to Saskatchewan. So Brochet, the village that we belonged to, and we were, even though we, we had a house there, but we were hardly ever there because we were nomads, right? Caribou hunters. Uh, and uh, we lived, it was about 10 kilometers from the Spanish, uh, Spanish border. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> 10, 10 kilometers from the Manitoba, Saskatchewan. See how international yeah. you are. You forget where you are. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we played on that border. We grew up playing in that border. We used to, like, we'd play tag across the border. We'd skip rope with that border. Sometimes we'd, <laughs> we'd trip on that border. And uh, so it, that border was that. My father was from just inside Saskatchewan. My mother from, was just from just inside Manitoba. So we're both Saskatchewan and Manitoban. Oh, That's yes. what I am. Yes, yeah. you're mm-hmm. bi-provincial. I'm, uh, I'm bi. That's pretty good. <laughs> you're bi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, that's three borders: mm-hmm. uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Nunavut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in the corner up there. Try. And that area is so vast that most, like most Canadians, have never seen it, and they will never see it because it's inaccessible. Oh. But did you know, for instance, that the country is so vast, Canada, that the border between Manitoba and Nunavut, just that part alone, to up to all the way up to the North Pole, which is almost in Canada, that distance is the same as the distance between Halifax and Vancouver. That blew my mind because you give the geographical, um, you, you explain to us like how the vastness of the land, right? Oh, and and then when you put it and you you put it down into those the miles and kilometers and everything, 
it's just phenomenal. It, yeah, it boggled my mind. I actually had to look at a map. Yep. <laughs> and even the map doesn't give you the key. It doesn't give you the truth because maps are no. flat. And this is we're talking about a globe, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and also um, the fact that Nunavut, just Nunavut alone, is as, 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 as the same land surface as all of Western Europe, from the Soviet Union uh, all the way to Portugal, that part of Europe. And when you think about it, that part of Europe has um, Western Europe has a population of almost half a billion today, half a billion. Um, whereas Nunavut, our, our land, has uh, only 37,000 people. 37,000, um, is that something? Um, so you, know, you can just imagine the emptiness of it. Like oh, we had, yeah. most, most kids are lucky, most white kids whom we love. I mean, I love white people, don't mistake me. I've been sleeping with one for 36 years, so I must love them, right? Anyway, um, we uh, most white kids uh, from Toronto, for instance, are arguably the wealthiest city in Canada, yeah. are lucky if they can get two kilometers, uh, no, two meters, meters of, lake, yes. of lakeshore for two weeks every summer. Yeah? yeah, We had 30 lakes to ourselves, just the Highway family, to ourselves for two months every summer. So we were home from oh. school for two months every year, the, the most beautiful part of the summer. The summer, which and this is land that's close to the, mm. the land of the midnight sun. Mm -hmm. So it never really truly, truly gets dark at midnight. And it's almost, it's, you know, there's always a pink glow to the light at the end of June, beginning of July. Yeah. The, the sun sets at sun sets at about 11.30 at the height of the summer, around the end of June, early July, and comes up, rises again, starts rising again at 2.30 in the morning. And so that, that light, so the quality of that light is very special and it's unique to the north. See, that's that's the beauty of, of your book. And you, you share that and you bring that out, the beauty of the land and mm -hmm. everything, the beauty of the language. And, and it's it's phenomenal. I just I just loved seeing it. There was one another part of uh, reading the book that I thought was just way too cute was when your parents you're you're hearing your folks talk English and then your mom says you want some coffee and no. then your dad responds you make good coffee no. it was yeah. so endearing to me I know they, 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 they played with it you know they had this yeah. They spoke about, mom spoke about five words, 10 words of English. My dad spoke a bit more. He was self-taught, educated, self-educated. Absolutely. That's how they talk. It was actually a, you want some, like a, you want some. Wants, coffee? Yeah, wants. And some, my dad would say, you make good, good coffee. Makes so, good coffee. Yeah, <laughs> it, re yeah. it reminded me of a scene actually in Casablanca. Have you seen, you know, Casablanca? Actually, it's one of my favorite movies. And it's just, it just reminded me so much of that, the couple in Casablanca who are trying to get their transport papers to leave. And then they just talk about their watch. Nice watch, good watch, good watch. You know, it was that same comparison. I just thought it was lovely. I just thought it was really lovely. And, you know, you, you really, your intention then was to really share the language and, yeah. And to share the beauty of my culture and how funny it is, the beauty of the land, the funny, the, 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 uh, the cartoon aspect to uh, native life, because we laugh a lot. You know, native people are first and foremost, they're laughers. We're laughers. We laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And uh, so, and as soon as it's very funny, very interesting. So the second you start speaking English, you stop laughing. You know, really. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a yeah. reason behind that. I'll explain it in my next book, which is coming up. I'm writing it right now. And uh, but uh, it's true. We laugh almost. Yeah, constantly. Yep. it's true. Like, like, we laugh almost constantly, like Eden Robinson. 
We'll have like Eden Robertson's last. Who doesn't love Eden <laughs> Robertson's last? Oh my goodness, right? yeah, exactly. She you know, sets Eden, off a firestorm. And exactly, she, was, uh, she tells me the story about the time she was standing at the bus shelter one evening in Vancouver, and it was raining, of course. And she's laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And this white woman who was standing there as well, waiting for the bus, finally comes up to her and says, looks up into her face and says, an old woman, an older woman, she says, looks straight into her eyes and says, you have a good cackle. <laughs> so, so Eden Raff laughed even more. Eh? Anyway, that's how, and I laugh a lot too. I laugh at, I spend a tremendous amount of my time laughing. And um, so I wanted to celebrate this, 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 the sense of humor implanted deep, deep in the culture. Yeah, yeah. it's inherent. Yeah. And it's I want And the other thing I asked, but I just want to talk to very quickly, talk to very quickly, address very quickly, is the fact that my parents never went to school. The, oh. the near, okay, in, in, in the city, um, you know, a kid can walk, uh, take uh, 10 minutes to walk to the nearest grade school, uh, half an hour to walk to the nearest high school, uh, take an hour and a half bus ride to go to the, to the nearest university. Uh, we can't, the North doesn't have those resources, okay? Yeah. The that is unlimited luxury to have that, unbelievable luxury to have that capacity. We had to walk, we had to fly hundreds of kilometers to the nearest school. And yeah. my father never got a chance to go to school. He was the oldest of a whole family of boys and, and a few girls. But uh, he was the only one who wasn't allowed to go to school because he had to stay home and take care of the others and help his father. And um, so all the other boys went to school and they all had grade seven or grade eight. And so they, they could all read and write. My father couldn't. And he was really, really frustrated by that. He was very unhappy about that. He was a happy man. He never complained. But you could tell everyone's knows that, that that regret surfaced in his personality. Mm-hmm. And he was determined that his kids would have the kind of education that he didn't have. So he sent us to school because, he, A, he wanted to uh, prevent us from dying like the others had. He'd, he'd lost enough children already. He didn't want yeah. to be born. And, yeah. B, he wanted us to get the education that we, uh, he didn't have. And so I went to school very, very far away from home. And I had to stay away from 10 months of the year because it, it, that's, just, that's just the way it was. And so I, was going, I decided that I was going to go to school for two people. I was going to, mm. I was going to school for myself and for my father. I was going to go and win the education, the extraordinary education that my father never had a chance to get. And he used mm. to say, you know, he was a fisherman in the summertime, very, very backbreaking labor, cold, wet, rainy, and especially towards the fall when icicles would start forming around your hands. Oh, and wow. next to the water. He had a brutal life. It's very romantic being up there, but it's very, also very harsh. And, uh, and so he, he said to me one summer that one summer I was fishing. Well, there were several summers, I, many summers where I fished with him. I was just, I started fishing with him when I was eleven. Um, the summer I was eleven, I remember that very distinctly. But when I was when I was fifteen, and I was I had gone left the boarding school to go home for the last time before I went to high school in Winnipeg. Um, he said, "You, you know, I was hesitant. Do I want to leave home that far away behind me? Because Winnipeg to Northern Manitoba is like what fifteen hundred kilometers." And so he said that. Uh, he encouraged me. He said, yes, my son, in Crete, go to school. You, I, I, you, you, if you go to school, you won't, you won't have to leave, live, work as hard as I do. You won't have Aww. that very difficult life that I have. You will just sit on, at your desk and you will take with your book in your hand. And every once in a while, you will turn the page. You will say, <laughs> and you know what? That's exactly what I do today. I sit yes. at my desk here. And I, I, with my book, and I turn the page and every once in a while, and because I have two pianos and I'm a pianist, I became a coach. Yes, yes. I, every once in a while, I look at the score. Uh, I have, I have my, uh, music right here 
I have one piano downstairs and one piano upstairs. Oh, grand wow. piano upstairs. Anyway, Ooh. I'm in the basement. I have a base, beautiful basement office. And uh, so that's what I do. I, I sit, sit there playing the piano. And every once in a while, I reach over and turn the page, yes. which is what my father wanted me to do. And I'm doing exactly that right now. And I'm doing what's more work that is very, very important to the Native people, which is the development yeah. of Native literature. I had yes. a big hand in the birth and the development of Native Canadian literature. Uh, and, You're uh, damn right, you did. Yeah, and, uh, and now, like 40 years later, after I finished high school and all that, we had now there was not a there was you could have counted the number of native writers on, on the fingers of one hand back in the 1980s exactly. 70s yes and yes. now we have hundreds of native writers right across yes. the country who are who have, we've created an industry that employs an awful lot of people including editors and publishers and uh, <clears throat> as you would colleges teachers university professors high school teachers and now we have an entire industry that spans the entire country and with a voice that is heard all around the world Exactly, and I have to make and I have to make that happen, and and in a sense, Joe Highway, my father, made that happen by letting exactly. me exactly, yep. exactly, and I still remember that, like uh, when I worked with you at Native Earth back in the eighties, mm -hmm. um, you said that when you first got uh, the book, the box of uh, the Red Sisters first came and mm -hmm. was delivered to you, and you opened that box. I was I was just amazed to witness that, and mm -hmm. you brought out that copy, and then you said, I want to see a library full of plays written by our people and everything, mm -hmm. and it's happening, yeah. right? You, you, you started that. We made that. it happen. Yes, yep. it's happening. We made it happen, yep, and more and more and more and more and more. Exactly. And before, it's just a matter of time before a native person, and now we're, people are getting nominated for Governor General's awards and this award and that. And award. winning. And, uh, and before and winning. And then and now it's just a matter of time before a native, a native writer gets the Nobel Prize for literature. It's That's right. That, it's it's got to be you. No, no, sir. <laughs> no. This is not about me. This is no. about other. You know what? I'll tell you something. The yes, secret it should be you. Oh no. No, that's not why I write. I don't write to. Bring I know. Make money. I, know. I write for the pleasure of it, and because I'm a social, I, mean, I was I was a social worker for seven years, and to me, I'm not. I I'm a writer, an artist with a social conscience, with a social purpose to his work, and that yeah. is the continuing develop emotional and spiritual and psychological development of native the native community to make it healthy and healthier and healthier and healthier, because that's our job. And uh, and and so I'm not very good about uh, thinking about myself. You know, I think of, the, the see the one of the great keys to happiness is to think about others first before you exactly. think of yourself. Exactly. You, exactly. When you think of, when you think of yourself, you will make you will only make yourself miserable, and you will make people and you will make people around you miserable as well. So think of others first, and you will see how happy you are as a human being. And I am. I'm very very happy. And, and that's what you've you've done with this book, and I I just love the 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 opening, like the the quote at the very beginning, "Don't mourn me, be joyful." Absolutely, that's the last right. words of Renee, my my, my brother, my deceased brother, thirty years ago now, he died. Yes, um, and uh, I live with him every day. I don't miss him at all. He's still with me all the time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, my parents either. My, my dad would have been 113 years old this year, and my mom would have been 110 years old. <laughs> anyway, I don't miss them at all. They're with me all the time. Yes. And yes. they give me tremendous amount of strength. And uh, I'm doing what they want. I'm doing what dad wanted me to do. I'm doing what mom wanted me to do, exactly what they wanted me to do. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, and uh, 
So I, I just can't wait for the next page. And I, I just can't wait before I next, turn the next page in my in the There book, we go. And on that note, thank you, Thompson Highway, for sharing so much enthusiasm and love of your language and your land and your people with all of us that will last forever. Oh, my goodness. I, I, uh, thank you so very much. You're so kind. That was Elaine Bomberry in conversation with Thompson Highway. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books, including Permanent Astonishment. If you enjoy this podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn. Original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé. Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.